You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems with your host, Northwestern University internist, Dr. Lee Friedman. When the alpha blockers and dutesteride stop working, what options do we have for our patients with symptomatic BPH? Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining me today is Dr. Joseph Harryhill, Assistant Clinical Professor of Urology at the University of Pennsylvania, to discuss newer techniques in treating BPH, specifically laser prostatectomy. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Harryhill. Well, thank you for inviting me, Dr. Friedman. As an internist, I'm usually writing prescriptions for medications, and at what point do we say, hey, my Flomax and my Avidart are no longer adequate for this patient? Well, the treatment for BPH is driven largely by subjective symptoms. And so there will come a time for some men, not all men, but a portion of the men that you treat with medical therapy for BPH who will become dissatisfied with relief of symptoms. Sometimes the symptoms will progress despite our best efforts with medical therapy. And the other thing that may drive it is that some patients will experience significant side effects from medical therapy, particularly the alpha blockers. And in this day and age, do we ever see people presenting just with acute urinary retention or even renal insufficiency because of BPH? Not commonly, because people generally get treated fairly early, but we will sometimes see that as a presenting symptom. For example, I see a lot of men in their 50s and 60s who will have some lower urinary tract symptoms from BPH and not be bothered significantly by them. Then the patient comes in, for example, for an elective hernia repair or has a colonoscopy done, Mm -hmm. and perhaps because of side effects from the medication or something that precipitates it, all of a sudden you have a guy who is in acute urinary retention that was not significantly bothered by urinary symptoms. And that's Mm -hmm. one way that we see them in patients who are either on alpha blocker therapy or maybe not being treated at all on a watchful waiting regimen, and all of a sudden you're faced with a patient who obviously is going to need more attention to his prostate than he's had to that point. And and that seems to be the exception to the rule. The rule is more that the symptoms or the side effects from the medications just get the patient to say, I need something else. Right. And the other thing that I will see sometimes in men is the fact that they're concerned, and you are too as an internist, about polypharmacy. I feel badly about starting men on medication when they're already taking five or six medications for their cholesterol, their hypertension, and perhaps if they're adult-onset diabetics. And then you begin to concern yourself with interaction between the medications, particularly between alpha blockers and antihypertensives. And frankly, I do have men come in to see me who say, is there an alternative to medical therapy? I'm sick of taking medication. Mm -hmm. They don't want to look at BPH as a chronic disease, as you might hypertension or diabetes, if there's an alternative to medical therapy where they don't have to take medication, then some men are attracted to that even before they've even started medical therapy for BPH. Very interesting. And so we've got the patient now who needs something more than medical therapy. TERP is the standard treatment. What is wrong with TERP and why do we need alternatives? If you think about transurethral prostatectomy, the TERP operation, and men refer to it as the rotor-rooter mm-hmm. procedure, mm-hmm. I think it's gotten kind of a bad name that way. But I was thinking about this in the 20 years since I've been in residency 
how much medical practice has changed and how much our surgical practice has changed. For example, in 1986, the National Health Survey estimated that 350,000 patients in the Medicare age group had a transurethral prostatectomy, a TERP, done that year. And that was probably the peak year. Basically, all we had at that point in time was either watchful waiting or surgical intervention. The cost was enormous, and that was one of the things that drove this. Medicare reimbursement began to decline for TURP. That was another pressure towards moving towards either medical therapy or minimally invasive intervention. The other thing about TURP is it requires anesthesia. It's a hospital stay, usually for several days, and there are some significant side effects that you worry about and possible complications of the procedure that can be avoided either with medical therapy or perhaps some type of minimally invasive alternative. Along came, in the 1990s, the FDA approval for alpha blockers specifically to treat BPH. The first, I believe, was terazosin or Hytrin, which came out. We were using mini-press before that. I didn't like it because of the orthostatic hypotension. And in the mid-1990s, for example, it was finasteride and tamsulosin became popular. By 2004, we take us up to the present, the U.S. sales of finasteride and tamsulosin were $400 million and $710 million, respectively. Wow. The problem, however, is that you know medical therapy is expensive, and as I mentioned, you know you're talking about treating men with one or two medications for a problem that can be managed with other alternatives. And surgery, in the long run, is probably, by some cost analyses, economically superior to long-term medical therapy. So there's a number of things that sort of pushed us towards both medical therapy and to consider minimally invasive interventions. And one of them that has always been an attraction for us as surgeons is laser therapy and how lasers could potentially be used to interact with tissue and treat prostate enlargement. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. This is Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and Dr. Joseph Harryhill, Assistant Clinical Professor of Urology at the University of Pennsylvania, is discussing with us treatments for BPH. Dr. Harryhill, what makes the laser particularly a good choice for prostate problems? Well, the laser for treatment of prostate problems has advantages over TURP, particularly the KTP laser, which lends itself well to this sort of therapy. Here we have a laser that can be used to vaporize tissue. It seals the blood vessels at the base of the vaporization, so there's a very thin coagulation zone. The blood loss of the procedure is significantly less than transurethral prostatectomy, and there's far less concern for fluid absorption through veins that sometimes will cause complications with TURP. So the recovery time is faster. You can remove tissue with laser vaporization, either using KTP or Holmium YAG laser, that will just about be the similar kind of removal that you can anticipate getting with a transurethral prostatectomy. So when you look at that and compare it to other forms of minimally invasive therapy, such as microwave, for example, the advantage that the laser has currently with the techniques that we use is that we're actually ablating, we're actually removing tissue to a significant degree where you can't get that much removal of tissue, for example, with an office-based microwave procedure. In terms of pain and discomfort periprocedurally, is there a difference using the green light KTP laser? There is. There's a shorter catheter time, for example, with KTP laser. Some centers do it as an outpatient procedure where you go home the same day without a catheter. And the other advantage of it compared to TURP 
is that I mentioned of a significant decrease in the risk of blood loss. And in fact, we've been able to utilize KTP laser prostatectomy in men who are hematologically compromised, for example, patients with thrombocytopenia or patients with high risk for DVT or have a prosthetic heart valve that can't easily come off their anticoagulation therapy. I've treated patients who are fully anticoagulated on warfarin without significant increase in bleeding, something that you could never do with transurethral prostatectomy. And the attractive part of being able to ablate and remove some of the tissue would make the therapy a better long-term alternative, perhaps, than medication or microwave therapy. Absolutely. In this population we're talking about, a lot of them do have comorbidities and might be on warfarin and very interesting points. Technically, is it more difficult to learn and to perform than a TERP or other types of minimally invasive procedures? No, I would say not. I think it's very important that physicians who embark on a laser procedure practice of their own do get good qualification for this with laser safety and so forth. The laser is a very high power source and you do need to actually be proctored and start out with cases that are relatively easy and straightforward the actual action of it and the procedure itself lends itself well to urologists who have been doing TURP surgery for many years. It's endoscopic work. The movements that you use are very similar to transurethral prostatectomy, but you do have to get used to the way the tissue is ablated. It's a bit slower, and you have to be very patient with removing tissue, particularly if it's a larger prostate gland. When we first started looking at this eight to ten years ago, Dr. Malloy, Terrence Malloy, and myself at Pennsylvania Hospital, we had access to one of the very first 80-watt laser machines that LaserScope made for the KTP laser. And we found at that power level that we were somewhat limited in the size of the prostate that we can treat. With the development of newer technology and a high power machine, we now push the wattage up to 120 watts and we have more efficient vaporization, and we can actually treat much larger prostates than we were able to do before. Interesting. And it's a newer technique. Do we have any long-term studies on efficacy? There are some studies that are out showing three- to four-year efficacy, and only maybe 10 to 20% of patients who will require another form of intervention or repeat surgery. This compares favorably to, for example, microwave therapy, where a three-year study showed that as many as 50% of patients required a second surgical procedure or additional intervention uh, at the end of the study. Uh, Dr. Harry Hill, are there other entities that one should consider when a man stops responding to medical therapy for these type of symptoms? Yes, exactly. That's a good question because, you know, we focus so much on the prostate that we look past the fact that it's a whole coordination between the bladder and prostate. In fact, some men who fail medical therapy for BPH may actually have overactive bladder. There was a time when we really thought of that more as an entity for women, but in reality there's a higher incidence of overactive bladder in men over age 70 than there is with women. If they fail medical therapy, you need also to be thinking about the bladder and whether that might be a potential cause. And that's where there's even some interest lately in using anticholinergic therapy for treatment of men with lower urinary tract symptoms who masquerade as BPH, but in reality may have overactive bladder. In the minute that we have left, as you look ahead, do you see future developments in this area of treatment? 
it's interesting. There are some some things that are coming down the pike that will be interesting to see how they turn out. For example, one is Botox therapy, Botox injections into the bladder and prostate to alleviate the muscular hypertrophy of BPH, some advances in medical therapy, and HIFU, which is high-frequency ultrasound for treating both BPH and prostate cancer. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Joseph Harryhill, Assistant Clinical Professor of Urology at the University of Pennsylvania, who's been outlining the approach to symptomatic BPH. He spoke specifically about advances with using the KTP or green light laser treatment for laser prostatectomy. This has been Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. To learn more about this or any other show, please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can also register and sign up for access to our on-demand features. Thank you for listening.